Welcome to Our Black History with Alexis and Adam. This is episode two, and we're still getting the hang of things, so please bear with us. Have you, are you excited for this episode? Oh, you know I am. Have you ever heard of Matthew Henson? Uh, no. Okay, we'll get ready to find out more about him. Matthew Alexander Henson was born on August 8th, 1866, so a year after the Civil War. Okay. His parents were free black sharecroppers uh, in Charles County, Maryland. They often experienced attacks by the Ku Klux Klan, uh, such as you know crosses being burnt in their yard, which is actually really common. And I also did not know this, but I found this out. I probably should have known this. Um, the Klan was created by former Confederate soldiers in December 1865. So basically, like, after they all lost, they were like, we have to find a new way <laughs> to, like, terrorize black people. Wow. So they typically targeted northern white leaders and southern sympathizers and politically active blacks. So that was their whole MO. That's how they started. Gotcha. So to get away from this violence, the Henson family, they sold their farm and moved to a poor section of Georgetown, which wasn't made part of D.C. until five years later in 1871. He had three sisters, and then his mom died in 1873. His dad married somebody else, and they had some more kids. Then his dad died, so he went to stay with his uncle in D.C., who helped pay for his studies. But then that guy died. So, oh, wow. Yeah, Matthew kind of had a lot going on in the beginning. Um, so then he Everybody was just... Everybody kicking the bucket, huh? Yeah. So then he was just attending public schools where he had a life-changing moment at the age of 10. He attended an event that was honoring Abraham Lincoln, and Frederick Douglass was speaking. So in his speech, Douglass encouraged now free blacks to pursue, pursue educational opportunities and fight back against prejudice. So that kind of inspired Matthew and the things that he went on to do. So what kind of, do you know anything about Frederick Douglass? Do I? Yeah. I mean, yes. Because they didn't tell us nothing about that guy in a uh, public school. Oh, well, I think he was from Maryland, I think. So we always kind of heard about him. Um, but maybe we should do an episode <laughs> on him because I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I know everything about Frederick yeah, Douglass. We should come back to that. We'll job, come back man. to that. Put a pen in that. I don't want to sit here and pretend I know Frederick Douglass. Um, okay, so anyway, so now at the age of 12, Matthew, he's all alone. He worked as a waiter and a dishwasher at a local restaurant. The owner let him sleep in the kitchen and eat scraps, which, like, imagining it, like, just imagine a child now. The adults are just like, oh, that's orphan Matthew. He's 12. He works 16 hours Matthew. a day. He eats table scraps and sleeps in the dirty pile of tablecloths overnight. Wow. Like, can you just imagine? That sounds That's... hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like, it just, they're just like, they like turning the light off at night in the restaurant and he's just sleeping in the back. That's so messed up. Anyway. Um, so one of the regulars at this restaurant was a man named Baltimore Jack. He was like an old sailor and he would just always tell everyone about all his experiences at sea which Matthew was really excited about. He loved hearing about that. So much so that at the age of 13, instead of going back to school in the fall, he headed down to the Port of Baltimore um, and going to look for a ship. He wanted to find a ship that needed a cabin boy. So cabin boys were basically the captain's bitch. They, wow. <laughs> I mean, seriously. They were you usually... did not have to refer to it as such. That's me. Okay. That's what they did. They were usually <laughs> teenage boys, like, excuse me, between the ages of like 13 and 18, although some records show them being as young as eight. They would feed the crew, so like make sure they had food. They would stand watch overnight. Sometimes people could sleep. 
And then they would, like, steady the wheel, like, to make sure the boat didn't do anything crazy, I guess. Um, but it was the best way to basically begin your career on a ship. It's basically like your mom telling you to hold the steering wheel for a second. Yeah, while they're going to do something else. Yeah, well, but, going yeah. to do something else. What was your mom just climbing around the car? <laughs> I don't know, like... <laughs> My mom never let us hold the wheel. No, yeah, we were. I would have. My We would ask. No, my panic attack ass. I would have driven us right into the <laughs> fucking median. Oh, smash! I'd have been like, ah. <laughs> so while at the port, Matthew came upon the Katie Hines and a man named Captain Childs. Um, Childs was really impressed by Henson's tenacity, so he allowed him on the boat, and he acted as a cabin boy for Childs for the next five years. This allowed Henson to travel all over, including China, Japan, Africa, France, and the Russian Sea, which will come in handy later. <clears throat> um, and Childs also used this time to help educate Matthew. Like, remember, he was 13. He stopped going to school. Didn't really have any supervision. So he learned how to read and write um, by looking at geography books. And then being on the boat also helped him learn basic skills like carpentry, first aid, and just making him like a well-rounded seaman. That's such a weird word. I hate. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that word, but it is what it is. Semen. So it is what it is. <laughs> at age eighteen, Childs actually passed away, and then Henson had a hard time finding another boat that would be welcoming of a black man and you know wanting them on the boat. So he just stayed in the U.S. to the D.C. area, worked taking like various jobs, um, like a dock worker, a chauffeur, and then eventually he returned to D.C. to work in a clothing store. It was there where he met. Um, Lieutenant Robert Peary, who will change his life. He was offered the opportunity to be Peary's guide, or not his guide, I'm sorry, his servant on his next expedition to Nicaragua. Peary was looking for a way to get from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean without having to sail around the tip of South America. So at this time, that's what they had to do. They didn't know about like how you could get there without going all the way down to the bottom of South America and coming up. Um, so this is what he's trying to figure out. So at first, Henson was just helping him with menial duties, such as cleaning his clothes, setting up his office. But when a laborer fell into quicksand, which that's crazy. We always talk about how do people really fall in quicksand? Somebody actually had that experience? Yeah, this guy fell into quicksand and he was like, I don't want this job anymore. So this guy was the chain man, which basically that means like for the captain to measure certain things, somebody has to hold one end of the chain and it's hard, I guess, because you can't move. Like, you have to be really steady while he's moving. Do you, does that make sense? So, like, I guess while this guy was doing it, he fell into quicksand. But Henson was like, oh, I'll do it. Like, he really wanted to do anything it took to, like, continue to grow on the ship. So after this expedition, Peary let Henson know he was impressed by him and he shared his desire to travel far north. He wanted Henson by his side and Henson was intrigued by what could be up in, you know, the northern part of the, the world. People didn't really know. And he knew that because of his time in the Russian seas with Captain Childs, he could handle the cold. So on June 6, 1891, the first voyage to the Arctic began, leaving out of New York. So this is how I know I'm dumb and had a bad education. So they <laughs> docked. They docked for a long time in Greenland, where I did not know is like very near the North Pole. Did you know that? Yeah, okay. I learned that from the Mighty Ducks. Actually. Oh, okay. Well, I was like, why are they going to Greenland? And I, looked at <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's fine. It's so all the way up there. They would go to Greenland and then kind of like 
you know, get supplies and acclimate to the cold weather over a certain amount of time. That would be like their little docking space um, as they were trying to make their way farther north. Um, so while there, though, Henson had to do a lot of manual labor on his own. He had to build a little house for everyone. He for had to everyone? build everyone. Yeah. So like there were other people on that were on this boat with them, but they weren't helping Henson doing all this stuff, obviously, because he was black. They're like, you have to do all the hard stuff. Honestly, you're telling this treasure island of a story. I forgot our main character was black today. <laughs> That's like the whole point of the podcast. <laughs> That's, I had to come full circle for a That's second. That's hilarious. I was like, this is... It makes me feel better about my Greenland thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to, like I said, he had to do all this extra stuff. Um, and then he even had to make crutches for childs who got injured at one point on the journey. But being the only brown person had its advantages. Uh, when they encountered an Eskimo family, the man of that tribe named Ikwa, I, I don't might be butchering that, but Ikwa, he ran over to Henson and like showed his arms and was like, we like look the same, basically. He, not in English, he didn't say that, but he was trying to show him that they had similar complexions. And so the family basically adopted Henson and taught them, um, taught Henson their language. Um, they basically thought that Henson was like, an Eskimo that got lost. Like they did not, they'd never <laughs> seen someone else that looked like them. So they just were obsessed. And Peary or yeah, Peary obviously liked this relationship because it helped them better trade for supplies and tobacco and stuff like that. So he obviously thought that was great. So for the next 18 years, uh, Peary and Henson continued their voyages up through Greenland and making their way closer and closer to the top they couldn't, they had to keep coming back. So they would like go do this for like 18 months, go as far as they could. And then different things would happen. They'd have to come back. Um, and then every time they were basically setting the record for the farthest north travel as they continued to go. Henson became fluent in the Inuit language and was the only non-Inuit who was good um, at training and driving the dog sleds. Because they had like basically huskies. I don't know what they, I guess, you know what I mean? Malamutes. Maybe. They actually, I don't remember reading what um, kind of dog. They just said dogs. Isn't that what it is? It's the Alaskan Malamute and the Siberian I guess, Husky. but this is in Alaska. Wait, is there such a thing? Well, you get an Alaskan Husky by mixing a, an Alaskan Malamute and a Siberian Husky, right? I have no clue. You're asking the wrong person. Well, they all look like wolves. Yeah, so we'll call them Balto. Okay, Balto is, yeah. Balto. He also learned how to build igloos, and he also killed a polar bear, which wow. is crazy. There's actually a really great book. Um, I will post our sources on the website, but there was a really good book that I was reading through to get this stuff. If you're interested in, like, like if you like it, the book Into Thin Air or other, like, John Krakauer type writing, they go into a lot of detail on these trips that they took up north, but I'm just condensing it a little bit. But if you're interested in, like, adventure, true adventure stories, they go into all that, so including like who gets frostbite and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, <clears throat> oh, it's called, um, the book's called Black Americans of Achievement, Matthew Henson by Michael Gilman. Anyway, on the final trek in 1909, it was Henson's tenacity that got them to the farthest point north. Peary was so tired, his ass was just on the sled. <laughs> Henson and the Neskimo <laughs> were the ones pulling it or like, you know, driving it. And they actually were so focused that, they overshot the mark. And so Henson and the Eskimo actually became the first people to be at the North Pole. And Peary was salty. Obviously, he was mad. 
Because he had originally asked Henson to stop a few yards short of the pole so he could take an Eskimo with him to reach the mark. To which Henson was like, uh, just you and an Eskimo? And Peter was like, oh no, I meant so we could take an Eskimo to the pole. But it didn't matter because it was Henson and this guy who reached the pole first on April 7th, 1909. Henson thought when they got back, you know, he'd be a real hero. He's the first person to ever touch the North Pole, did all this, la, la, la. But obviously, we'll see, it didn't go that way. When they returned home, there was a controversy as a Dr. Frederick Cook tried to say he had reached the North Pole a year prior. And that rivalry between Cook and Peary um, caught, Henson got caught in the middle because bigots were basically saying, oh, well, Peary had a Negro with him, so he obviously doesn't know anything. And <clears throat> and that basically Peary could have told Henson this was the North Pole, but Henson wouldn't have known any better, and he would have just gone along with it. I thought they were going to go about the, like, oh, he was getting carried. You know what I mean? Like, that Negro was carrying him up there. He had <laughs> well, Negro, Negro strength. Quickly, he, that Negro it was. doesn't count. <laughs> but, no, they were just saying that Henson was too stupid to know about that. You know what I mean? And then Peary, he didn't do anything to dispel that notion. Um, and so a division grew between, well, they already had some issues, but like based on what I told you about the way um, Peary was trying to get to North Pole before Henson and not have him go, that's when it all started. But this, when they came back and Peary didn't support him, that really drove a division between them. Henson tried to capitalize on his achievement by writing a book called A Negro Explorer at the North Pole. But it didn't sell well, and Henson had I to I want to read that book. I know. It, yeah, you can definitely go read it. Um, but it didn't sell well. Henson had to take up a job at a car garage, and then eventually he started working on the staff at the U.S. Customs House, which he did for the next 30 years. In 1937, though, he was admitted to the prestigious Explorers Club. Peary was admitted back when in 1909, but he was admitted um, in 1937. Other members of this include Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, Neil deGrasse Tyson, so just people that are, you know, important in science and stuff. In 1944, Congress awarded him and five other Peary aides with duplicates of the Peary Polar Expedition Medal, which was a medal given to Peary, like, when he first got back. But now they're like, oh, okay, I guess you guys should get it, too. Presidents Truman and Eisenhower both honored Henson before he died in the Bronx on March 9th, 1955. In 1988, his body, along with his wife's, were both moved to Arlington Cemetery. Wait, isn't Arlington the special cemetery? Yeah, so they were doing that to honor him. I think. Oh, that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's like it's messed up because I used to go there all the time, so I should know more about Arlington Cemetery. But just, why? Because my old public school ass always thinks when they talk about Arlington, they're talking about the Arlington in Texas. Oh yeah, no Arlington, Virginia. And I got that because of Hank Hill, well, King of the Hill, honestly. Oh, okay, well that's uh, that's an okay way. To- to think oh, she said I got it honest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we will not besmirch wow. the good name of Hank Hill. <laughs> um, so something interesting, although he and his longtime wife Lucy never had children, he and Perry had what they like to call country wives on their voyages. What? And they had children with Inuit women. Wow. He actually, Henson has a son named, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's A-N-A-U-K-A-Q, Anak. An Anakak. I don't There's know. a little black Eskimo out there. Um, in the 80s, a researcher at Harvard actually went to find their descendants, and these people were brought to Arlington to be there when Henson's body was moved to the cemetery. Oh wow! That's so there's a whole really other cool. book out there that this researcher created, 
and went and found the lineage of Henson, like where the Inuits were. And then some of them were living in America, but some were brought for there. And the final fun fact about Matthew Henson, he is the great, great uncle of Taraji P. Henson. Shut up. No, is the true. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that cool? So yeah, that was Matthew Henson. Wow, that was actually you a think pretty about cool that? little episode. Yeah, I had, had no idea. I honestly did not know anything about him or the North Pole or how long it's been since we have been there. I didn't know anything. Yeah, never knew a black man had been to the North Pole. That, was the first that was, person. Oh, that's yeah, that's even, yeah, did not even realize. That was actually a pretty cool story. Did not see it going in that direction at all. <laughs> Where did you think it was going to go? I thought it was going to be a nice little civil rights story about a gentleman who had fought for our uh, advancement. This fine gentleman got himself a, on a boat and said, let's go see snow. The origin of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But because of him, like his achievements, like there were people in the like explorers or adventurers world who did come across Henson, who I believe him, like being who he was, changed their outlook on black people so even though he wasn't like oh, i'm a freedom warrior you know what i mean right. i think he still like changed the perception of black people at least in this realm he was a warrior of freedom yeah and i feel like he took frederick Douglass's words and was like okay bet like i'm gonna go <laughs> and do <laughs> yeah he was like i'm gonna go and do all the things and um, do something that black people never really get to do. He was staring at himself in the mirror like, you're going to kill a polar bear. <laughs> I know. I think that's wild that he did that. He killed right. a polar bear. That's awesome. So crazy. So yeah, that's that story. That, that, okay. All right. So until next week. <laughs> until next week, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye.